Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of WI2C Radio. As we continue on, study the book of Revelation and its timelines. Today we get to hopefully cover chapters 4 and 5, which detail the throne and the scroll. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that these topics are very pertinent to the days we're living in right now as we find ourselves on the edge of our seat just waiting for that bang. Why, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Let's ride.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this much-awaited broadcast of WI2C Radio. Boy, we've get, been getting plenty of correspondence concerning uh, what we've covered so far. All good stuff. All extremely good stuff. I did have uh, some questions I want to answer right off the bat. If you want to go over to uh, the Facebook group, and uh, look for comments, you'll see a picture posted of the celestial somology depiction of the seven planets being the seven churches. I find it uh, very exciting that uh, people on their own uh, figured out that, well, yes, Mars is uh, represented in the heavens as the aspect of war. And that's exactly what the third church is in Revelation. So I was very uh, pleased to get uh, those questions. Uh, that can be a very difficult topic, uh, but we have given out a plethora of information uh, besides that, ladies and gentlemen. So I do appreciate all your correspondence uh, questions about the battle, God's holy word. Well, Brian, how's your week been, buddy? And... Um, Tell me your thoughts in preparing for this episode. Well, I guess my week has been, uh, how do you put this? Not the best of weeks. Uh, my brother's funeral was yesterday and still sort of, uh, mentally recovering from that end of things. Um, and, you know, your next question, what do I make of this? Uh, well, I mean, right away, the beginning here of uh, chapter four, I think we're going to squash one of the infamous uh, false teachings that's floating around because it, you hear it nonstop and it, it really just makes me kind of scratch my head as to how anybody came to these conclusions, so... Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, <laughs> but that's really all we have been doing is just trying to get in and completely rewire everybody's synaptic connections. <clears throat> Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to hear me coughing quite frequently this program. But... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's amazing. You take a look around and people will say that uh, this details everything after a rapturic event. And they get that by the single phrase that after these things. Absolutely hilarious. Um, and really, that is quite laughable. It It, it really is. But there's a whole lot that needs to be talked about uh, with these two chapters. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you'll, you'll just take note uh, that uh, whatever way uh, could you describe chapters 4 and chapter 5, because we'll just take chapter uh, 4. Uh, how many times does it have the word thrown in it? You're obviously being pointed out everything has to do with this throne so uh, 
you know, I thought about naming this the scene of the throne room in heaven. But then when you read the next chapter and you realize that's all about the scroll, it is fitting to titleize it as I've done. Chapter 4 is certainly, exclusively, about the throne. And chapter 5 is exclusively about that scroll. It contains so many elements to it, doesn't it? Who has ever heard of a scroll that's written on and without? You'll take note that this scroll has seven seals. But the scroll is never read from. Ladies and gentlemen, it is told what happens inside of creation when the seals are broken. But that does not mean that he who is breaking the seals, and you'll take note, It couldn't be opened until he broke the last seal. Then he could open it. Begs the question, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen? But there are so many things here uh, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Oh, my goodness. Um, and let's talk about uh, one of the many things that are said right off the bat. Everybody groups the four living beasts together with the 24 elders. No, no, they're not. Uh, they're quite separate. So when one is singing, that does not infer no mean, nor mean that everybody is singing at the same time. But these things are extremely important to look at them, read them, and take them for what they say. Because that's what you have to come to grips with, is what God actually said here. We have to realize that everything we're going to read was sent by the angel. And he dictated verbatim what the Lord Jesus Christ told that angel to deliver to John. So, Brian, did you want to jump in here and start reading chapter 4? And maybe I'll take chapter 5? <coughs> sure thing. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne 
which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes, and in front and behind, the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Very good stuff. Boy, uh, oh my goodness. Everything right out of the gate here uh, is absolutely wondrous. Uh, and it's amazing that here uh, people put this as all in the future tense. Saying that this is after a rapturic event, I find that uh, humorous to say the least. You know, let's talk about these 24 thrones. Now, you'll take note that the thrones are mentioned before those that sit upon them. But take note, they are quite separate from the living creatures. You'll take note here that it says specifically the living creatures that they were in the center of the throne. They were in the missos, in the midst of the throne, the 24. Thro other thrones were around them. You'll take note that you cannot call these cherubim, you cannot call them seraphim. Because we obviously have something else going on here. Because they have elements of both. Now, this is part and parcel uh, with what Christ has done to creation itself. The Bible speaks all over about the reconciliation uh, that Christ delivered. It's absolutely amazing that people... Uh, never put these together. But just do a search about reconciliation in the Bible. You'll see that this is obviously what's at play here. Now, you'll take note that not only has there been reconciliation, other things were obviously at pl play because we've seen Ezekiel with the cherubim. That they had four faces, each one. But now, here, we see that's not the case. They have been 
properly put into one, each its own place. Now, that's a real big thing to wrap your mind around. Because when you realize that, well, when we just make reference here to uh, what this could be meaning as far as celestial somology goes, it's pretty obvious. The sea of glass is, of course, the orbital plane of the planets. You can obviously see that uh, these thrones are representative to time itself. I mean, we could even uh, look at the most uh, ancient clock. It was manufactured in the 1400s. You look at it, it is 24 hours on its face. But on top of that, it has four faces of men around the corners. They always knew this. Even where they got their aspects of time, of course, that came from Egypt, and everybody knows where 24 hours of time comes from. The Egyptian had 10 hours for the day, one hour for the twilight on both sides of time, uh, of the day, and of course, 12 hours for night. That's where the whole schematic comes from. These things would have most definitely been brought out by the slaves who were forced to stomp the mud in cadence with that system of time. But stepping back from this and looking at the marvels of what's taken place, it is absolutely wonderful. We'll take a look at Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 18. Neither did their backs turn, and they were high, and I beheld them. And the backs of them four were full of eyes round about. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 12. And their backs and their hands and their wings and their wheels were full of eyes round about the four wheels. Absolutely amazing when you start comparing the text and realize what has happened. When you see the context in Ezekiel plainly referring to the directions which they went, obviously talking about the north, south, east, and west. You can't get around it. The song that they sing here It is amazing. Everything going on. This is directing you straight back to Exodus chapter 15. Verse 11. And it is a trip. Uh, everything at play here uh, is just marvelous and wonderful. But throne is in here no less than 12 times. And it is amazing uh, to me that uh, when I talk to other people and ask them about the 24 thrones, um, they are very hesitant 
to even bring up what must be going on. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it, surely, the, surely all of you remember the division of the Levites in First Chronicles 24. There were how many? There were 24 divisions. 24 lots have been cast. And I'll read verse 19 of First Chronicles 24. These were the officers for their ministry when they came into the house of the Lord according to the ordinance given them through Aaron, their father, just as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. I'll just give you a detailed description. These were for the ordinances. When we jump over to uh, the next chapter, chapter 25 in First Chronicles, you will take note, verse 9, lots were cast again for the divisions of musicians and their duties. The first, of course, this time, was for Asaph. How many was their divisions for even the musicians? Verse 31. 24. 24. So, I personally fail to understand why people would have questions about these 24 thrones. I mean, the Masoretic text throwing in the simple fact that these had everything to do with the ordinances. Ladies and gentlemen, let's take a look at these, well, thrones. You know, you should probably know that this is in direct relation to the very last time that word is used in the Greek. I mean, he did say after these things. Everybody knows what happened after the things of the Old Testament. It was the New Testament. And there is no separating the simple fact that the last time an assembly is mentioned in the Greek is Joel ch chapter 2, verse 16. I'll read that from the Thompsons. Assemble the people, sanctify the congregation, choose the elders. Bring together infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom come forth from his chamber and the bride from her wardrobe. Now, prophetically speaking, when we flip it over to the Masoretic text for that verse, ah, then you get both, both sides of the equation. Let me read it out of the New American Standard Bible. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room, and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, creep between the porch and the altar. 
let's keep reading because uh, you're going to need to see something that's about to be said. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a bad word among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? Ladies and gentlemen, these are echoing the very things that Brian just read about. It blows me away how you can't find any cross-references to Joel chapter 2 anywhere remotely close to these verses. When it's obvious, it really doesn't matter which way you go. I mean, let us go to the very first time that word is used in the Greek. The elders, the assembly. Where's that at? Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. I'll read it out of the Thompson again. Upon this Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which God enjoined on them. That's the first time this word for elders is used, and I just gave you the last time it's used. You can plainly see that things are divided. There's 24 thrones for a very purpose. Straight out from First Chronicles 24 and 25, there is no mistaking what is going on. We know for a fact that uh, in Ezekiel gives great detail to where the 12 tribes are supposed to position themselves and which direction they are to be in relation to the sanctuary. Massive topics covered in Ezekiel. I mean, the latter chapters of Ezekiel is solely dedicated for that purpose. So there's no way around it. You can see what's mechanically going on. Uh, there, there's absolutely no doubt what has happened or is happening now that these things are being read. Take note. This is where the message gets off, because so far, the book of Revelation has just been this, an introduction and an address, just like it should be, just like it should be, ladies and gentlemen, of course, the first chapter is the introduction, you get a greeting from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then chapters 2 and 3, you get the address so that you make sure mechanically this is working just like, well, how it works nowadays. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is not for those children that are not of the promise. 
chapters 2 and 3 targeted who the message was delivered to by addressing the sevenfold ecclesia. But it amazes me how people, oh my goodness, they put all kinds of colorful things in here. When obviously what was written, if you read the entirety of what is said in Joel chapter 2 concerning these events, then you know why their garments are white and they're wearing golden crowns. I mean, just with one word, if you'd have just taken that word for elder, looked where it was, looked for throne, I mean, just look for the nomenclature of 24 and where that was. It's obvious what's going on here. Brian, back to you. And I mean, a couple other things to point out here, too, is um, right here when you get into the throne itself, um, our, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, sardis in appearance, etc. You're going to find that in Ezekiel 2813. It's the, uh, let's see here. Yeah, twenty-eight, seventeen, thirteen. Let me see here. This is uh, being stubborn. It put me somewhere completely different. Well, Exodus twenty-eight, seventeen is another one. Obviously, that was the one I pulled up first. But twenty-eight, thirteen, you've got these uh, same stones described. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, topaz, diamond. The barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day you were created, etc. So you have these exact stones sitting here being described in Eden, which is rather interesting nonetheless and then of course you have these seven spirits that come up in uh, Isaiah 11 referenced earlier and uh, oh the other thing the sea of glass another thing Matthew is uh, the sea described in the temple with Solomon which we did something up on years back Yes, that's right, we did. Um, that was actually years ago we talked about that, and we discussed that in depth, how uh, all the mechanics of that, uh, especially about the wheels and the mobile cart there. But obviously, when we're talking about this chapter, literally he's wanting you to see the division of the time and the directions. And the simple fact that everything that's talked about in, Revel in the New Testament, as far as Christ reconciling creation, you see that. Because here you have exact elements of both the seraphim and the cherubim, only they've been put right. Something 
physically, mechanically, I mean, he is going way out of his way to point out to you his only reference to time outside of the book of Revelation. That phrase being as it was in the days of Noah. <laughs> Literally pointing out to you things that something obviously mechanically is going to happen. As soon as he has the authority to exercise this reconciliation that's obviously already happened in heaven, Brian, right? We're reading this. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, wrap your mind around that. Until the Lamb opens this scroll, it is a mute point to think the reconciliation has happened in creation yet. But he's telling you in so many different ways, with almost all of the 11 verses stated here, in one way or another, in Hebrew or, or the Greek, he's telling you that reconciliation has already occurred in heaven. So, from this point forward, we need to keep our eyes open for massively physical things that's going to occur on planet Earth. Of course, we're going to get the full meal deal. But just take serious consideration of that, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, like, just like that phrase 24. I mean, think about it. Just that word, 24, is referenced three times throughout these two chapters. It's in the fourth verse and tenth verse of this chapter, chapter four, and it's also in the eighth verse of the next chapter. Third time's a charm. But when you wrap your mind around that, you realize why an entire chapter is dedicated to the throne, an entire chapter is dedicated to that scroll. Massively important. Massively important here that he had to remind us who sealed the scroll? Went way out of his way to say that because after everything was described of the appearance of he that sitteth upon the throne, next thing out of his mouth, out from the throne came flashes of lightning, sounds, peals of thunder, and seven lights of fire burning before his throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Period. End of story. Forever and always. Amen. And of course the Hebrew Roots people hate these verses. They hate it. Because this and the introduction comes right up and puts it in your face. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit.
No doubt about it. And you get this whole diatribe that, why is nobody saying anything about Christ here? I mean, we get God the Father, His appearance. We get the Holy Spirit. We get the four living beasts. We get the 24 elders that are around that. It's almost like, right here, you can see that Lottie Dottie, everybody in the heavenly host have accepted, been instructed in the simple fact that now we're going to have an exchange of authority. That exchange is going to come through a mechanism. That mechanism is the scroll of the next chapter. He wants to point out to you how many times here was he who sitteth upon the throne mentioned. Take ver note of verse 3. He's sitting. It's not the only one. Verse 10. He's sitting upon that throne. He is forcefully directing your eyes to the simple fact that all the prophecies talked about when he stands up, when he returns, when he comes, when he rides the cloud. I mean, he said it many times in many verses. But the next thing on his timeline that you're going to have to come to reckon with is when he impacts Mark Pahon. That's the next thing you need to look for. And he's come way out of his way in Hebrew and Greek here to make sure you know that's got everything to do with time and direction. And the simple fact that through the usage of the seraphim being what? Yes, over. Remember, they were above as they sang. They were above the throne. Where were the cherubim? They were round about, north, south, east, and west. Because that has been reconciled, he's literally telling you exactly what's going to happen. I mean, I read it to you from Joel chapter 2. You're supposed to know this is exactly when these things are going to happen. <laughs> and he's given you a massive hint to look who's supposed to be gathered. I mean, you. I hope everybody took note of who it says was going to be brought. I hope you were paying attention. I mean, you'll take note. Who is it mentioned? Why are 
Why aren't the men and the women mentioned here, ladies and gentlemen? You don't get that? You don't see it? Let me read it one more time. This time from the KJV. So this is quoting, this is translated from the Masoretic. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closets. Ladies and gentlemen, who do you think is going to fulfill this? The next verse. Joel chapter 2, verse 17. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, wait between the porch and the altar. Ladies and gentlemen, you should expect that's coming because, well, that is going to happen here very soon. Just a few chapters from now, you're going to see who is weeping between the porch and the altar in heaven. You're going to see who's crying out to God. And finally, he says, all right. Because this is happening in heaven. And you have to realize, that is why it takes a special individual to even get into heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, you must be martyred. Don't you realize that? If you die right now, you are not escorted into heaven. Only those that are martyred are escorted there. We know this has something to do with the right to rule over God's people. Let me finish reading verse 17 of Joel chapter 2. Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore, should they say among the people, Where is their God? Ladies and gentlemen, don't you understand how massively important these two verses are in Joel chapter 2? Now you know what's going to happen. Now you know when the elders are going to be assembled. You know the congregation is going to be sanctified, and the people are going to be gathered. And the only ones that are, oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, the only literal individuals that are mentioned are children and those that suck the breast. But this has everything to do with who has the right to rule over God's people I didn't read verse 15 for a reason. I will tell you this. Verse 15 is actually the events of the first place you run into this, of course, this entire idea assembled. It's in the book of Asaph. Psalm 73, when the people have gotten to the point, they're tired of their bondage. 
Ladies and gentlemen, let me go ahead and read verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. By the way, that's the throne room. Prophetically, God comes right out and says it in multiple verses. Zion's in heaven. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll take note that I'm sitting here looking at the references. Boy, that doesn't reference chapter 14 of Revelation anywhere. But just so you know, that's when this happens. And that's who comes to this solemn assembly that's been called. This is a strong echo of what is stated in uh, the Apocalypse of Isaiah, which is Isaiah chapter 24 through 35. Magnificent details are given there. I think I mentioned one of them on the last broadcast. And it's amazing that the only time that Brian and I get to talk about uh, the book of Joel is, oh my goodness, more distractions, more distractions. I mean, we never get to talk about uh, the book of Joel outside of Joel's army. And it's just, oh my goodness, if you had any idea. So, multiple weapons of mass distraction has been brought to bear on the ecclesia with mass effect. Mass effect. Mass effect. Brian? Well, another interesting little tidbit to bring up here is, I know you'll get a kick out of this one, Matthew, and some of the people may not have any idea what I'm bringing this up for. We did a video on this entitled The Wings of the North. This word for eagle is Atos G0105. And if you look at the simple definition, it's going to tell you right there in broad daylight, this is no standard eagle, folks. This is a eagle vulture. And I just find that quite interesting in light of everything we did in Wings of the North. And the fact that, well, you might want to look into those vulture shamans, folks. We did a lot of work on that episode. And if you haven't seen it, you might want to go watch it to see what we're getting at here. Because I find it interesting they're donning apparel from what you see sitting here in the throne room. And take note, um... Well, let me bring up the seraphim again. Where were they at? <laughs> they were in a vertical position in relationship to that throne. The cherubim were in a horizontal position in relationship to that throne. Ladies and gentlemen, God can deliver a whole lot more 
with what comes out of his mouth than just one thought. And he does. So, it's amazing that all these things are coming down the barrel. I mean, oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't been told that we're having problems uh, with where Magnetic North is, where Magnetic South is, you really do need to look that up. All these things are coming into play on a massive scale now. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, even the event horizon for the interstellar wind has not only moved, it's moved across the ecliptic. It's on the wrong side. It's no longer in the southern celestial hemisphere. It's in the northern celestial hemisphere. And people think everything's all right. And very few of the things that come out of his mouth is important. We get caught up in these cunningly devised fables. blows me away. I mean, take note, ladies and gentlemen, that the four living creatures, they say one thing, and the elders say something completely different. But yet, there's all kinds of teachings you can find that says they're both saying the same exact thing. And after this event, uh, you're never told about the rapture because it's sometime in between Revelation chapters 3 and 4. When I just pointed out to you that if you would have just looked up a couple, just two, elders and 24, God would have massively pointed out to you what you did need to be looking for. But that was only able to be done because they'd already convinced you of the cunningly devised fable of seven church ages being what chapters 3 and 4 was about. So they already had you off balance. Once they have you off balance, well, it's hard to get right once you're not quite sure and you can't quite detect where north and south is, up and down, east and west, when he's going way out of his way to give you directional markers associated with time itself. I mean... Ladies and gentlemen, everybody babbles on about the reference made to time in the first verse. And that's true. 
But why didn't they say anything about the reference to time in the Greek in the second verse? You throw us, ladies and gentlemen, directly, at once, instantly, immediately. You didn't see that? Of course you didn't see that because they had preoccupied your minds with after these things. And what immediately takes place after that, what's in verse 3? <laughs> Amazing. And, you know, what's even, even funnier is sometimes they will evade their own distractions to keep you distracted. Take note that the first verse, it's not a door that's opened. That, in the Greek, is thura. That's a portal or an entrance, not a door. But they don't want to point these things out to you because they want to keep you preoccupied in that after this means after the rapture. When it was obvious what was important just from, like I said, just, just two Greek words. If you would have taken time to look at it, then you would have realized what the entirety of Revelation is going to pan out because that entire don't you realize the verses I read to you let me say them again Joel chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 is everything that happens in Revelation literally it, it really is and people uh, it, I mean, if if you can't read that chapter from verse twenty-eight and see what's going on, I I mean, he really is going to show wonders in the heaven and in earth, and people don't believe it. They absolutely reject. That God can supernaturally take them through anything. They reject that. When he Ladies and gentlemen, let me explain something to you. You need to familiarize yourself with exodusian exegesis. 
Let me read verse 30 and 31 of Joel chapter 2. And I will show wonders in heavens and in earth. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he already showed me wonders with the four living creatures and the 24 thrones that go round about them. Blood and fire, pillars of smoke. And ladies and gentlemen, surely you realize he's making reference to the pillar of cloud that was present during the Exodus. Then he says, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord hath said, and the remnant of the Lord shall call. Ladies and gentlemen, we can just stop the bus right now. By the way, you were told uh, right here that Zion and Jerusalem is two different places, by the way. But I hope you... Realize that Jerusalem multiple times, let's think about just the book of Revelation. It references to a city and a country. It references it to Sodom and Egypt. You know that. It's treated just like Babylon. Babylon is a, is a city, the capital city, and also the country. Everybody knows it. You're supposed to see here uh, that he's actually promising you to deliver you to a place that he prepares. And he's saying that's where they're going. And one thing's for sure. What a perfect word to use in the Hebrew. Because, well, yeah, it, something really is going to be delivered. No doubt about that. It means escaped, ladies and gentlemen. But nobody believes that he can perform wonders anymore. They think his only course of action is to just will the wisp everybody back to heaven. When he never said that. He never said that. So, Ladies and gentlemen, more marvelous things than this is going to be shown in the heavens because we have, uh, we have prophecies that have to be addressed here in the book of Revelation. I mean, at some point in time, we have to deal with the host of heaven. Because at some time... We're told that the heavens rejoice because, well, Satan's not in them no more. Uh, we got to work that out. That has to come into play. 
No way around it. It's got to come into play. Brian? I'm just, uh, you know, sits here and it kind of bothers you extensively when you realize how many false teachings there are concerning all of these uh, varied areas, even just what you just brought up there with uh, Satan being uh, thrown out of heaven and, you know, people will get completely confused on that one. You know, and... uh the other infamous one that comes up here in Joel, you know, they, they've they always tried to toss these together hand in hand. The infamous, uh, you know, their favorite rapture and then the, uh, you know, a blood moon eclipse. But, folks, take another look here at Joel 2, verse 10, and look at it in context. Before the earthquakes, the heavens tremble. Okay, why would the heavens be trembling, folks? The sun and moon grow dark. Okay, that already cancels out an eclipse, folks. And the stars lose their brightness. It's rather apparent that everything in the heavens above us is being blotted out as we speak. Why? Well, we go back in. As Matthew was pointing out, you've got a multitude of things here that are also pointing you towards the heavens, the sea of glass, for instance, the different time pieces. Okay, folks, there's a thing called the galactic superwave that Dr. Paul LaViolette went into great amounts of work, wrote a book on it, and now it's been proven as scientific fact, where before it was theoretical. Well, once again, we slid around to the point of it is fact. They have taken photographs of several galactic centers exploding and causing a superwave. And that's what you're dealing with, folks. It's never been describing a blood moon eclipse. And I don't know where that came from, but, you know, that's, that's the gist of it. Well, Brian, let's, let's point something out. This has happened to us three times, actually. Okay. You have Dr. Paul LaViolette and his superwave um, been preaching the whole time that uh, I'd always raise my hand in uh, in class when I was in an institution of higher learning. Shoot my hand up. Oh, well, when's God going to ride the cloud back to Mount Paran? When's he going to come back to Egypt? Man, I was talking about that 20 years ago, and that's a fact. I was talking about, by the way, um, we're going to have massive events uh, where uh, Jupiter is going to come in inbound. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, spoke of this in auditoriums 20 years ago. Guess what happens? Brian and I get to do episodes when finally they come out saying that Jupiter's grand tech is real. It's on the NASA website. Go find it. But I were actually talking about that before NASA proved it mathematically. 
we have talked about, by the way, uh, something massive is going to happen uh, because, well, uh, something's, when you look at the celestial symbology with the seven churches, uh, something's going to get jumbled up, especially two of them, the twins. Sure enough. Brian and I was talking about it. What did the Nice model prove? It not only proved that Uranus and Neptune had swapped places, that's why the crown that was taken away from one of the churches, look it up. 2015, the Horizon Satellite recorded Sharon and Pluto. Sharon does not go around Pluto. They oscillate with each other. It looks just like a crown. A sparkly crown. That's why it comes into the orbit of Neptune. And it amazes me how many people I ask that. They're like, what are you talking about? Pluto doesn't cross Neptune's orbit. They crash. No, that means that during the switch up, they had to swap places. And one of them had... Pluto and Sharon in its orbit, and it honestly got lost, and God promised to give it back. So, on top of that, I guess you could technically say four, because eventually, after Brian and I already talked about all these things, and did video on it, I think, I don't think these were, well, we may have did broadcast on them on, on Prophetico, but I do remember the videos that we did, and uh, sure enough, we just waited, and what did the Nice model all of a sudden come up with? By the way, there must be a fifth gas giant. That's the celestial scapegoat. So now you can take that to the bank as well. And Brian and I, on record, were talking about these things. Um, one night we discussed it for about 40 minutes uh, in a broadcast. It was over seven hours long. The gist of that was Ezekiel 38 and 39, but we talked about that for about 40 minutes. And I'm literally telling you, we did that years before a mathematically proved there must be a fifth gas giant. But if you are too busy caught up in cunningly devised fables, you can't ever get to that point where you believe what God says because sooner or later he's going to prove himself right. Just a question of time. As a matter of fact, which we've already pointed out, uh, that's got everything to do with what we're doing right here. It's all about time, the parceling out of time, North, south, east, and west. Something massive is going to happen. <laughs> Something massive. And it absolutely has something to do with time itself. Chronology, shall we say. It's got something to do a whole lot with chronology. Look, ladies and gentlemen... Really consider what I've said about the seraphim and the cherubim. 
Seriously, think about it. Do you know what God says about these very things? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Think about what he's getting ready to say. Because this is massively important, what he's getting ready to say. You know what? Let's switch it up. Let's read in the ESV. I had somebody send me some questions about the ESV today. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his, his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just understand what he said. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. There's no way around it. He is coming out and telling you about the mechanics of Physics, no matter if it's chronology or astronomy, something massive is going to happen. And like I said, there's no way around it. You read all the references to the seraphim and the cherubim, then you read what we just read in chapter 4. Uh, somehow they've been reconciled and they've been put into, and now all of a sudden we have these living beasts. They're not confused anymore. They're, each one of them don't have four faces. They've all got one face. They've been put in order. They've been reconciled back to God from chaos. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross direct reference there blood of the cross now we know why we're going to get the depiction of Christ being a lamb as if it had been slain Everything he just, I mean, he went way out of his way just to tell you with the thought of somehow not only are we able to be reconciled spiritually back to God, this has got everything to do with creation. He come way out of his way to put it to you in the verses I've just read to you. Out of two different books, I mean, they're from two different places. But it goes on and on and on. 
I mean, this is... This is <laughs> what it's all about. The introduction, who the message is from. The address, who the message is to. Number four, who has the authority to do these things? Number five, what that authority chooses to do. Absolutely off the charts amazing. And I have stayed, I mean, I haven't mentioned too many Greek or Hebrew words. Brian has mentioned a couple. And not enough, <laughs> not enough hours in the day to go through everything that's mentioned here in Revelation chapter 4. Brian, your closing thoughts on chapter 4, and we shall move on to chapter 5 at your leisure. Uh, I think pretty much everything was summed up there fairly well. Um, you know, the uh, the statement, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. You know, once again, we've got time being encompassed just within that statement right there. That's right. Which we should have saw that coming. That was in the intro. I mean, he's put it more than one way. He's used multiple different mechanisms to translate that. But I like how we get here the message, and boy, this makes everybody mad. You know, what is the meaning of life? Uh, God tells you right here. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's the meaning of life, ladies and gentlemen. You were just told why you were created. Of course, the verses that I read explained it to you a different way. In any event, this is the period at the end of that question. Because it never was a question mark, ladies and gentlemen. 
the meaning of life is for his good pleasure. That everything that has been made was made. Brian, I do not have a break loaded up, so we're just going to have to play the Let Him Write intro again, because I need to take a break. How about yourself? Sounds good. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, good message. You might want to listen to it. By the way, you did know that the writers were craftsmen, didn't you? Well, if not, that's okay. You're going to get through this Bible study just fine. Pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Let's ride.
All right. Well, I guess I will uh, read chapter five here while Matthew uh, gets back. All right, Revelation chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the book and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne, with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creature and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Good stuff, Bri. That is the best of stuff. Sorry uh, that I got caught up there on break. I should have played a longer break than I did. Um, I'm hoping that you picked up the ball and ran with it. Um, sorry that you got pushed to reading everything. I was really looking forward to reading this because this is just uh, absolutely the best stuff. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you'll take note that things are a little confusing here, aren't they? There is weeping because no one was found. And then he's told, well, who, who has overcome? He mentions the line of the tribe of Judah. By the way, that's straight from Isaiah chapter 11, which... Brian's already talked about. The root of David. It's amazing that he went out of his way to show you 
to tell you this had everything to do with the Isaiah chapter 11, but yet Isaiah chapter 11 only mentions six spirits. Of course, we get the seventh spirit in the New Testament, and that is the one that will show us what is to come. It's just amazing to me that you preface that, that he's told it's the lion, it's the root. But then when it goes on to describe, it, it says what? I mean, is John expecting to see either a lion or a tree? Because that's not what he sees. He sees a lamb. And, of course, it's given description so that you know which are the seven spirits of God directly referencing you to... If you have not read Isaiah chapter 11 without reading this in concert with Revelation chapter 5, you're really going to be quite lost, actually. But here we go again. In the midst of the throne, the four living creatures. The elders around that. You know, you'll take note the mechanisms mentioned here are incredibly important. The spirits of God set out into all the earth. You know, let's let's talk about people think that they're going to heaven. You you'll take note. He mentions here in three. In heaven, earth, or under the earth. Direct reference to Hades, which is all over the New Testament. Sorry, you can't escape it. You know, Brian, what's your thoughts on this book that's written, well, inside and out? It's, it's amazing how the Greek puts it. Because... Under no circumstance would you write a scroll front and back. And, Brian, your thoughts on what this scroll might say? Because uh, it, it's obviously important. Uh, your thoughts on it? Well, didn't we already cover that in two programs? I think that we did, yes. I've talked about it many times, but uh, absolutely amazing that as far as the scrolls concerned, we never do get to read it. I mean, we get to see the effects of what happens when the seals are broken. But this is obviously the intention of God. We've seen that the 
chapter 4, the preceding book was all about the authority and what he plans on doing. And then this is what we're told. This is the intention of God. And we're told that, uh, well, it's amazing that this entire chapter goes way out of its way to make sure that you know Lottie Dottie everybody accepts what just happened, this transfer, this, well, this sealing of the Lamb's authority. I mean, he goes way out of his way and take note that the golden bowls were full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard me say it one time. You've heard me say it a million. It's obvious that the prayers of the saints was for this very thing to happen. Their redemption. No mention is made here of their retirement. He makes reference here to being purchased for God. That's not going to be the last time we see that. It's obvious that this, the whole thing, is to set up the kingdom. Verse 10. We see that honor, glory, dominion forever and ever has just been spoken. You'll take note that when the living creatures said amen, the elders fell and worshipped. Didn't say the creatures fell down. It said the elders fell down. And speaking of the divine reconciliation, I mean, verse 13, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. Don't you realize that this scroll gives the power to Christ? To reconcile Lottie, Dottie, everybody, and everything. He has completely set you up for this. Completely set you up for it. I mean, this is so mechanical... It's really crazy, all the mechanics mentioned here. And let's take note of this word here for bowls. 
uh, that are mentioned here in verse 8. I wonder if anybody's taken a look to see where else that is. Because they are mentioned again, ladies and gentlemen. But you were already told what they contained. Well, where's the next time that's used? You realize it's chapter 15, verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever. And, and here we go again. Why the reference to time here? Ladies and gentlemen, same exact words, same exact case. Uh, same exact forms. Golden bowls. Exactly replicated in 5.8 and 15.7. Ladies and gentlemen, he's going way out of his way to show you here. What you're supposed to be praying for. You're supposed to want these things to happen. You're supposed to want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of currency. You're supposed to want the kingdom of Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, you can't get around it. Same phrase. Golden bowl. And when you take a look at it, what do you think happened to the golden bowls when the elders fell down? Once they fell down, they sang a new song. Brian, your thoughts? Well, another major thing to point out here as well. Um, here in verse, what is this? Verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign where? Folks, it says reign upon the earth. It doesn't say anything about them reigning in heaven. It says reign upon the earth. Exactamundo, that it does. That it does. It's just... Just amazing to me that people don't realize that the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's really going to happen. I mean... He just says this to make sure you know that it's going to be from every tribe. I mean, he's obviously making sure that you know it's got nothing to do with being a Jew or not. The only thing this has to do with is whether you are a child of the promise or not.
Of course, we're going to get this in full detail. Coming up in Revelation chapter 20, but he's setting us up for it. And you know, he's literally setting you up for it, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, think about what is said here. You were slain. This enacted a purchase for God with his blood. He's literally coming out and telling you what these men that every tribe and tongue and people and nation are from, what they're going to have to go to, what they're going to have to go through. Coming right out and telling you. No mistakes about it. What's going on? And he's saying these things so you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Christ is the firstborn. That's why you're supposed to be purchased. He's prototokos necros. He's the firstborn from the dead. That's exactly who he says is going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. So, you should know with this song what he's saying. This is part and parcel with those that are going to cry out between the porch and the altar. We're saying this right now, so when we get to that, your eyes are just going to be blasted wide open. Because the ones that cry out that are at the altar... God says something very dire. And that's why he, this song says what it says. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. Okay? Why? Why? Listen. Listen. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests who are God, and they will reign upon the earth. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him for 1,000 years. This is quite literal. It's literal. Now all those strange verses in the New Testament make sense. The firstborn from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that's the whole reason why he carries that title. 
That that's the whole purpose. Uh, I mean, Colossians chapter one. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Don't you realize that Revelation chapter 5 is the first part? He just got his first place in heaven. Just now, we just read it. He was found worthy. <laughs> First Corinthians fifteen twenty. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, you're supposed to know all this beforehand. That's why this song is being said. Prototokos Necros. It's the whole purpose. But he literally, with this song, ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize that the 24 elders realized that now this was going to take place. Everything was going to be reconciled. So we've got to keep our eyes out because with this much information being given, I mean, from verses 9 and 10 of Revelation chapter 5, Surely you realize that he's going to go way out of his way to give you in-depth information as to who these people are. And the thing about it is, is that the angels know that something's going to happen too. Direct reference so you know something's going to happen in heaven and they know it. I mean, it'd be nice to know how many times the living creatures actually said amen. Because I got a feeling they don't get tired. So we need to watch for this. Look, ladies and gentlemen. There's no way you can get around it that the song of the elders is very clear. They are celebrating the simple fact that from this point forward, Revelation chapter 20 verse 6 is going to come true. 
and then you see the angels singing, and they realize something massive is going to happen with the organization in heaven as well. And I mean Lottie Dottie, everybody, all the angels. And take note, it goes way out of its way to show you, and the number of them was millions and millions and thousands of thousands. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you think that he couldn't just give you a number? No. Instead, he said it in such a way to make sure that you understood that, by the way, you better look for a series of numbers coming up because they're going to be counted. So something is about to be executed concerning the rod of iron. Now, surely all of you know those references. I mean, Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. We've already talked about that, didn't we? Or maybe you didn't understand it. We talked about um, that there in Joel chapter 2. Revelation 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Where does this come from? You all should know this right off the top of your head. Psalm 2, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Here, you're actually told that, uh, well, he tells you, comes right out and tells you that the kings and the judges, they are going to pay reverence and rejoice through trembling. It also makes reference to those that take refuge in Him. I mean, literally coming out and telling you that you should expect to be taken to a refuge. I mean, take note. I mean, you know, Psalm 2 is saying everything that we're talking about here. Verse 6, but as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion. He tells you what that is, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nation as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. 
At any rate, I, there's two chapters you obviously need to come to grips with before you go further with the Revelation timeline. Isaiah chapter 11 and Psalm 2. I mean, he's literally coming way out of his way to show you that massive things are happening here and this has physical ramifications upon creation. I mean, he's, like I said, the song of the elders we just read. They're going way out of your way to tell you that those that are going to rule and reign with him um, are going to be slain. In the Greek, it literally just stares you in the face. Well, I mean, I was looking here at Isaiah 11, and I find it interesting the wording in Isaiah 11 has brought of mouth, and then obviously you go over to Psalms 2, you've got, oh, whoops, just one second. Yeah, because uh, Isaiah 11, verse 4, but with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And then, you know, as I said, you go over to Psalms 2, you have the rod of iron again, just like you were bringing up there. Yeah, he makes himself perfectly clear. But if yeah. you don't have all those things under your belt, Brian, you you get to Revelation... And you think it's a bunch of babbly book when it's not. He makes himself painfully clear. If you just remember the law and the prophets. I mean, he's really making this mechanically easy to see. It's really easy to see what he's intending on doing and why he's saying what he's doing. Brian, oh my goodness, we're down to two minutes. Uh, so your closing thoughts, please. Uh, there's a lot going on here, and it's uh, this is one of those things where I'm going to have to go back and listen because these aren't my two, uh, I'd say I'm not up to par 100% on these two chapters, so tonight for me was more of a learning experience than anything else with that, but that's pretty much what I've got to say on that end. Well, you know, it's it's always a learning experience. I mean, I didn't... I mean, I know there's some things that I learned tonight by extrapolation, because if I forgot them, I had to learn them again. And it's amazing that... that, that that's why it kind of upset me that I didn't have a long enough break, and I got back late because I really did want to read Revelation chapter 5. Because when you read it, and you read it out loud to yourself, oh my goodness, things jump off the page. Like the simple fact that um, 
You know, we brought up about uh, the living beast. They're in the center. They're in the midst of the throne. They're inside the throne. Just like those wheels, like the four wheels on the cart of the sea that was at the temple that we did that episode on. But it leaps off the page when you realize that mm, the 24 other thrones are around that. And it's just refreshing to read it because um, every time I read it, something else jumps out to me. But you get down to the, you know, particulars. Why was this done? Why does nobody do that? I just don't understand it. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the elders could have sang any song they wanted to. But they chose to point out to the simple fact that he was slain and purchased for God with his very blood. And that every tribe, nation, and tongue was going to be taken from to administer his kingdom. And they were going to be priests and reign with him. I mean, he makes just two verses that comes out and says... Hey, you better look for this because it's going to happen. But if you're too busy caught up with cunningly devised fables, you're just so entertained, you can't see it. So, Brian, your goodbyes and your uh, websites and contact information before we take her out. All right, well, you can find me at Overt Attention Show on Twitter. Website's overtattentionshow.com. And if you want to contact me, thebandsoftime at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as for me, uh, you can contact me uh, at endtimetribune at mail.com. so you can go by the blog site, End Time Tribune at blogspot.com, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. Just look up End Time Tribune. You will find me. Um, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.